Alrighty, everyone. Welcome back to another episode, your monthly episode of the Basin Breakdown. Now, yes, it is now September, but this podcast will be covering the biggest news, Basin by Basin, all through the month of August. And as usual, it is myself, Tavis, joined today by Kevin. How you guys doing? Just going to get right into it, starting with the way we usually do, Colorado DJ Niobrera. First, KP Kaufman receives a hefty fine. The COGCC determined that KP Kaufman violated COGCC rules by failing to report spills and the status of flow lines, as well as failing to inform the agency of what it was doing to correct problems. The commissioners agreed with the staff's allegations that the company failed to meet filing deadlines for cleanup plans. The Denver Oil and Gas Company faced approximately $1.8 million in penalties and the loss of its ability to operate in Colorado. Lots on the table there. The hearing to determine whether to prohibit the company from receiving any new permits will take place on September 20th and 21st. You won't hear me saying this all the time, but I actually think I agree with the COGCC on this. And while I do think they're trying to really use KP Kaufman as an example for other operators, I think it's really necessary. I mean, just the way that this industry has been vilified by the federal government, by state governments, um, even by our own state, look at Proposition 112, 118, I think the COGCC is really trying to do their best to say, look, we are trying to responsibly develop these resources in Colorado. And if you can't do that, then you can't operate in our state. And who better to make an example out of than the largest private operator in the state? And up next, we're going to talk about how Larimer County is tightening their oil and gas rules. In an extension of the commissioner's July 26th meeting, Larimer County commissioners approved new, stricter oil and gas regulations. According to the new regulations, oil and gas facilities must be at least 2,000 feet away from any major structures such as schools, hospitals, and senior living facilities. Oil and gas facilities in Larimer County are prohibited from being built within 500 feet of river and stream high water marks, a greater setback requirement than the Colorado Oil and Gas Conservation Commission's requirement of just 100 feet. The modifications also redefined air quality monitoring requirements, including particular criteria for air quality advisory days, require leak detection at oil and gas sites to be performed at least annually, and require new oil and gas pipelines to go through the county's administrative special review processes. I know a lot of people who would be upset with this, but I don't think this is a bad thing. These all seem like healthy regulations. The setback, sure, that's definitely going to restrict where a lot of development can go, but otherwise, it's just the county looking out for their resources and their responsible development, and I don't have too big of a problem with that. I really don't either. I really have uh, an appreciation, if you will, for the new monitoring requirements, because I think these are something that really show that the oil and gas industry are is taking the right steps towards kind of like I said earlier, responsibly developing these resources. Yes, while the setbacks are definitely going to damage the industry, I think it steps in the right direction without doing too much harm. And then this next one is for all of you audience members listening in from the Denver metro area, which happens to be a lot. Colorado's average gas price is nearly 50 cents higher than the national average. According to AAA, gas prices in the state averaged $3.64 per gallon, with some areas reaching $5 per gallon. The national average for gasoline is 3.18 right now. Colorado has only seen a 13 cent per gallon increase in the last month. Prices, however, remain nearly $1.30 per gallon higher than this time last year. But who's surprised by that? Rural counties in eastern Colorado have outperformed more densely populated counties. According to AAA, Prowers County has the lowest gas price in Colorado at 2.89, while Pitkin County has the highest at 4.86. Let me tell you, Kevin, I am glad that I drive a scooter. <laughs> I'm glad that I don't live in Pitkin County. 
But that's all for Colorado. Moving it up to Wyoming and the Powder River Basin. We've got a loss of lease revenue, and that bodes poorly for the state. The state has lost millions of dollars in revenue as a result of the Biden administration's halt on oil and gas leasing on federal lands, according to Governor Gordon. The Petroleum Association of Wyoming announced in March, in reaction to the Biden administration's policy, that oil and gas leasing had generated $474 million in revenue since 2015, with a, almost half of that going right back to the state. Recently, Governor Gordon hosted a meeting with U.S. Secretary of Interior Deb Holland. Gordon informed Holland of his view, which is that oil and gas lease sales should be allowed to begin, as well as any sales that have been postponed. He also told Holland that he doesn't believe the leasing moratorium is an effective approach for the administration to, quote, fix the environmental concerns they're trying to address, end quote. According to him, the leasing ban just makes the United States more reliant on foreign oil purchases. Gordon also underlined the importance of oil and gas business in terms of employment creation for Wyoming. And for a state like Wyoming, who's so heavily centered around resource generation and what that brings back to the state, I can see why they're so upset. But even beyond that, I think Gordon hit the nail on the head when he says, look, we're just now relying on foreign fuels. We saw just this week that the t world's top oil and gas consumers have surpassed their pre-pandemic demand levels. So it's not like consumption is coming down in the United States. It's right back to where it was. And now if we're not producing those resources in the United States where we have some of the strictest federal and really state-level environmental regulations, we're taking it to places that really don't care about those things. And up next, we have a coal leasing review. The Department of the Interior announced on Monday that they will begin to review the federal coal leasing program, much like that that they are already doing with oil and gas. Changes in the leasing policy are especially important in Wyoming, where the majority of coal mines are leased through the federal government. The state produces around 40% of all coal in the United States, but the Powder River Basin in Wyoming and Montana accounts for more than 85% of all coal mined on federal lands. Executive Director of the Wyoming Mining Association, Travis Deddy, says, quote, Right now, I mean, we're managing. But you get to a point where you're going to have to make the mineral too expensive to produce. Coal is very heavily taxed already. End quote. Outside of that point, it just almost seems downright disrespectful. Finish the first leasing review of the state. You're already taking oil and gas lease sales out of the equation. So, yeah, that's a ding to the budget already. And before you finish that, you're doing the same thing to coal, where 85% of the Powder River Basin's coal is mined on federal lands? Oh, come on. Well, I mean, and look at this. The leasing review for oil and gas industry has lasted nine months now. So they're going to do that to coal too? I mean, Wyoming's economy is just going to tank because of this. But I do want to add that I do understand what the administration is trying to do, and I do support it. But come on, like Tavis said, one at a time here, folks. And next, down to Texas, where the big boys play in the Permian we've got some deals going down, as they have been throughout the year. First one, Callum Petroleum announced that it would purchase assets in the Delaware Basin from Primex Energy Partners for $788 million, as it seeks to expand its presence in the Permian's westernmost shale field. Callum will pay Blackstone Group-backed Primex $440 million in cash and issue approximately 9.2 million shares of stock. Quote, the Primex acquisition adds Delaware scale at an attractive price, analyst at Brokerage Cowan wrote in a note. Cowan shares were down 12% at 3336, having more than doubled this year despite broader weakness in oil prices, so not a terrible deal for them. The next acquisition, Surge Energy has purchased Apache Corporation's leasehold interest and wells in Howard County, Texas. The transaction's total purchase price at closing was 37.5 million U.S. dollars. 
This land includes approximately 4,000 net leasehold acres, 100% held by production, contiguous to an existing leasehold position in Howard County, as well as production of roughly 800 net barrels of oil equivalent per day. Additionally, though expanded lateral lengths and working interest, this transaction adds about 14 net drilling locations, and it's about the biggest news in terms of who's buying and selling. And up next, we're going to talk about how the Permian Basin is expected to recover from the global pandemic. According to a report from analytics firm Global Data, oil and gas production in the Permian was expected to fully recover from the pandemic by next year. According to the report, the basin was producing approximately 4.6 million barrels of oil per day as of August 3rd and was expected to exceed 4.9 million barrels per day by the middle of 2022. That would have been more than 4.8 million barrels per day produced in February 2020, a month before the COVID-19 health crisis hit the United States. It's just crazy to see how quickly we've bounced back when everyone was saying, oh, nope, this is, that's peak oil. This is the death. We're going to switch. But I mean, like we've talked about, we do need this form of energy to support our other forms. So it's going to be here for at least a little while longer. And I say we support it in our own borders. And up next, we're going to head over to one of our personal favorites, the Eagleford, where Silverbell Resources acquired Eagleford shale assets for about $33 million. Silverbow Resources Incorporated, which is a Houston-based E&P company, has announced its plans to grow its acreage and overall portfolio in the Eagleford Basin. For around $33 million in Silverbow stock, Silverbow will purchase the assets from an unknown seller. According to the company, the purchase will bring 45,000 net acres to the Eagleford under their umbrella, including gas assets in McMullen and Live Oak counties, as well as oil acreage in Atascosha, Lavaca, and Fayette counties. CEO Sean Wolverton commented, This announcement expands our gas portfolio in the western Eagleford, while also adding oil acreage in three new counties. Next, NCAP Investments has agreed to buy EP Energy for $1.5 billion. That's billion with a B. According to sources familiar with the issue, less than a year after the oil and gas company emerged from bankruptcy procedure, which its creditors took control. According to the sources, NCAP intends to break EP, which owns production assets in South Texas and northeastern Utah, into distinct geographies and merge them with existing portfolio firms. According to the sources, the Utah assets in the Uinta Basin would be merged with XCL resources, while the Eagleford activities will be merged with an NCAP business having land in the area. And after some minor technical difficulties, let's do one more story on mergers. Penn Virginia has proposed an all-stock acquisition of Lone Star Resources. There are distressed companies with a lot of debt, such as Lone Star, that are nonetheless smart buys. Unless present commodity prices stayed stable for a while, Lone Star would struggle to service its debt. Penn Virginia has a solid block of land, whereas Lone Star has a lot of scattered land. The little parcels of land aren't worth nearly as much as the solid Penn Virginia block. This bolt-on acquisition is extremely valuable for the company. But that's everything we've got in Texas, and we're going to move it over to Oklahoma, where we will be talking about an oil spill. Crews in southern Oklahoma are cleaning up after an oil spill in Foster. Oventive representatives told News 12 that the leak was discovered near the Hunter Central tank battery on East County Road 1650 in Stevens County. An emergency response team was quickly deployed, and they were able to quickly bring the spill under control. The source of the leak is still being investigated. Not major news, but it sounds like they got on top of it before it became a real problem. I also think it's good that Oventive is actually going and approaching the news and fessing up to this and also admitting, look, we're taking care of this, so that they're really showing the, the responsibility that our industry really can have. 
And Tavis, do you remember all those earthquakes in Oklahoma we used to hear so much about? Mm-hmm. Well, they're back in the news. The strongest of a series of earthquakes that have shook in eastern Oklahoma last month drew the attention of many residents in Quinton. The unusual activity, which scientists have linked to injected salt water produced as part of the recovered oil and gas in other locations, prompted the Oklahoma Corporation Commissioner's Office Induced Seismicity Department to order the owner of a nearby well to suspend operations on August 16th. Waterbridge Arcoma Operating owns the well site, which is known as Straight One Saltwater Disposal Well. The Straight Water One well was granted permission to inject saltwater with the geological formations of the Simpson, Tulip Creek, McLish, Wilcox, and Oil Creek formations. And this has been catching lots of traction on LinkedIn lately, so I'm sure you'll probably hear about it more in the coming months, and we will be sure to keep you posted. But that news is not at all as fun as it could be in a state like California, which is attempting to balance its clean energy push with the need to boost tight power supplies and avoid rolling blackouts, and it means that they will likely rely on more fossil fuels in the coming weeks to keep the lights on if scorching heat waves do strain its grid. The Golden State, which is some of the most aggressive environmental policies in the world, could face a supply shortfall of up to 3,500 megawatts during peak demand hours. And if you don't know what that means, that equates to approximately 2.6 million households worth of electricity supply. According to a recent emergency proclamation, Governor Gavin Newsom intends to fill that gap in part by allowing industrial energy users to run on diesel generators and engines. In Tavis, unfortunately, it's just a broken record at this point. We've seen this two summers in a row. We saw it earlier this summer. And I mean, instead of, you know, maybe adding more natural gas to the grid, which is very clean, they're saying, let's just run diesel generators and engines. What? Like, what mm. kind of environmental policies are you, these that you can just roll back all your progress and say, yeah, do whatever you want? And the biggest joke of all, I believe it is consumption and not generation, but if you look at the data out there, we'll have an episode up on it soon. California has consumed roughly the same amount of oil for the past couple of decades, so the population growth has been leveled out by fuel efficiency gains and energy efficiency, but instead of producing it, they just import more and more and still use that same level amount. So yeah, I don't think these policies are working. Well, we're going to take it over to Kern County, where California Governor Gavin Newsom announced in April that all fracking would be phased out by 2024. But the Kern County Board of Supervisors announced a new lawsuit last month in an effort to protect the county's oil and agricultural industries. The Kern County Board of Supervisors voted 4-1 to one to sue Governor Newsom over his recent legislation to phase out fracking. Except for Supervisor Letisa Perez, all members of the board supervisors voted in favor of the lawsuit during a closed session. And for the last story, it's that time of year again. Devastating wildfires continue to advance through Northern California. Northern California wildfires that demolished two mountain communities raged on last month in the Sierra Nevada, while utility intentionally blacked out up to 51,000 customers to prevent new blazes. Two weeks after the Dixie Fire destroyed most of the Gold Rush-era town of Greenville, the Caldor Fire exploded through tinder dry trees and ravaged Grizzly Flats, a forest community of around 1,200 people more than 100 miles southeast. Since the Caldor Fire erupted, at least 50 homes have burned in the area, according to fire officials, and two people have been hospitalized with serious injuries. And our hearts go out to all those affected by those devastating fires. But enough talk about the Golden State, let's head on up to Pennsylvania and talk about the Marcellus, where the first successful deployment of an all-advanced electric fracturing technology was announced by Halliburton and Voltagrid LLC. 
This is the first pad of a multi-year contract with Chesapeake Energy Corporation that includes 140 stages in the Marcellus Shale. It combines Halliburton's all-electric fracturing spread with VoltGrid's sophisticated power generation technology, which includes the Zeus 5,000 horsepower electric pumping unit. By leveraging Chesapeake's local field gas network, this high-performing solution lowered Chesapeake's emissions by 32% and provided over 25 megawatts of lower carbon power generation. And that's what I'm talking about. This is good tech, good savings, save energy, save money, love it. Next, frackers and shippers eye natural gas leaks as climate change concerns mount. Investors and customers are putting increasing pressure on the American gas business to prove that its fuel has a lower carbon footprint in order to sell it throughout the world. As a result, the leading gas producer in the United States, EQT Corp., and the top exporter, Chenier Energy Incorporated, have teamed together to track emissions. In the Marcellus Shale in the northeast United States, the Haynesville Shale in east Texas and Louisiana, and the Permian Basin in west Texas and New Mexico, the companies and researchers plan to test drones, specialized cameras that can see methane gas and other technologies across about 100 wells over these next six months. The purpose is to collect data on methane emissions and compare it to current estimates. Again, I think this is cool. We're leveraging new modern technologies to try and solve a problem that really the world has an issue with, and move towards this greener future. So, all power to him. But for our last story, believe it or not, Pennsylvania's stepping up to bat against Texas. According to a new state report, Pennsylvania's natural gas production is closer than ever to that of the top producing state in the country, Texas. According to Pennsylvania Independent Fiscal Office's quarterly natural gas production report, Pennsylvania was within 1 trillion cubic feet of Texas's natural gas production levels in the second quarter of 2021. This is the closest Pennsylvania has ever come to matching Texas's output, and through May of 2021, Pennsylvania produced 3 trillion feet through May of last year, while Texas produced 4.3 according to the second quarter data. And it is important to note that it only came that close because of the outages from that storm. So a little bit of an anomaly, but Pennsylvania's making big strides. But the last basin to discuss before we close out this podcast is the Bakken. Comstock Resource is now offering U.S. shale oil and gas assets. Comstock Resource, the oil company owned by the Dallas Cowboys owner, Jerry Jones, is offering to sell properties in North Dakota's Bakken oil field, according to a marketing document obtained by Reuters, as rising energy prices increase buying and selling in the sector. Crude oil prices are up about 38% year-to-date as economies recover and fuel demand recovers from travel restrictions imposed to combat the pandemic. Shale oil companies in the United States are also looking for larger scale in order to increase returns and operational efficiency. A non-operated working interest in 436 wellbores is among the properties on the market. According to the document, the holdings are worth around $200 million based on futures pricing. Well, hopefully Jerry Jones is more successful than his team was last night. (laughs) But up next, three North Dakota oil well fires are finally extinguished after about 16 days. Authorities say the three oil well fires in McKenzie County were put out after they had been burning for about 16 days. According to Beth Babb, spokesperson for PetroHunt, the company operating the well pad, crews put out the fire on the first well northeast of Watford City, and then extinguished the final well a few days later. According to the early estimate provided by PetroHunt to the state, the incident spilled 100 barrels of oil and 100 barrels of produced water. Not a terrible spill considering these fires went on for 16 days. Got to agree, and good on these guys for getting those cleaned up as quickly as possible. 
end with the last story of the Bakken and this episode of Basin Breakdown. Mackenzie County in western North Dakota grew at the fastest rate of any American county over the last decade thanks to the Bakken oil boom, which attracted thousands of workers and more than doubled the county's population in the decade. The region's housing, schools, and infrastructure have been put under strain as a result of the region's exceptional rate of growth. Since 2010, the most rural county's population has increased by 131% from 6,400 to 14,000. Williams County, which includes the Williston, grew by about 83% from about 22,400 people in 2010 to nearly 41,000 people today. The new influx of residents in western North Dakota triggered an explosion of development, including new hotels, restaurants, and even a new airport. And I'd love to see this. Good business, provides jobs, provides new communities, brings growth elsewhere. It's just kind of, if anything, inspiring. Absolutely. It's it's seeing the growth of the industry over the past 10 years. And I mean, it's now a boomtown. That's great to see. But like I mentioned, that is the end of this episode. If you feel like you didn't get your fix of news, we can go to rarepetro.com to find plenty of other periodicals, a weekly podcast, Monday Madness, and really, if you just scroll back in your feed, however you're listening to this podcast, you're bound to find something that will not only entertain you, but teach you about the wide world of energy. If you find that there's not what you're looking for, you can email us directly at podcast at rarepetro.com, and we just might draft up a segment based on your recommendation, and you might get a little Rare Petro swag for being so brave to reach out. But thanks for tuning in, and until we see you next time, take care, everybody. Have a great week. 